0: Welcome to the Father's Heart with Tom Clark, better known as Papa Tom.
1: Good morning. This is Papa Tom at the Father's Heart Talk Show. And with us this morning, I have a dear friend, Pastor Steve Heimbischner from Billings, Montana. And we're going to talk about things that God has shown us uh, that separate us and how we can overcome that separation on various and different ways. And later in the show, we'll talk about the traditions of men and how that separates us and so forth. But uh, right now, I want to talk specifically about complaining and how complaining uh, is one of the techniques that the enemy uses to separate us in all of our relationships, Um, husband-wife relationships, uh, father-son, parent-child, friendship relationships. And it's not only that complaining affects the relationships, but actually complaining itself on a biological and physical level in our brain, uh, I've studied it, and it it actually affects our, our own bodies in a very negative way. So I'm going to lead off by talking about what the Bible says about complaining. It says in Scripture, in Philippians 2, that do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless... Children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. So you see, uh, God encourages us not to complain. And if you look at what complaining actually does, because complaining is a negative thing, it's a negative process, and negative thoughts do neuroplasty. They actually affect the brain cells and they destroy brain cells. Anything that we say that has truth or love in the thought actually creates protein that builds more brain cells and everything that uh, we say that's negative or in a complaining way actually destroys brain cells. There's a good book on that called Switch On Your Brain by Dr. Caroline Leaf, who is a neurosurgeon and she discusses this in detail. Repeated Repeated complaining rewires your brain to make future complaining more likely. Over time, you find it easier to be negative than to be positive. Regardless of what's happening around you, complaining becomes your default behavior, which changes how people receive you. Research shows that most people complain once a minute during a typical conversation. Can you believe that? Once a minute, they're going to complain about something. Complaining is tempting because it feels good. But like many other things that are enjoyable, such as smoking or eating a pound of bacon, complaining isn't good for you. Your brain loves efficiency and doesn't like to work any harder than it has to, when you repeat a behavior such as complaining, your neurons, your literally brain cell neurons, branch out to each other to ease the flow of information. This makes it much easier to repeat that behavior in the future. So easy, in fact, that you may not even realize you're doing it. So the, high, the thing I want to get through, communicate, is that complaining is actually something that does something to your brain that's not helpful at all. Uh, There's a little statement that says neurons that fire together, wire together, and they real permanent bridges actually created in our minds. I believe the part of the brain is called the hippocampus. The hippocampus is the area of the brain that's critical to problem solving and intelligent thought. That's what shuts down. And we might not even realize this because I know a lot of people are getting older. And one of the sad things I see about people getting older is not so much they physically decline, but when they mentally decline and when you see people mentally declining with dementia or Alzheimer's disease, it really saddens me to see people who are physically healthy, but they're mentally not there. Uh, Damage to the hippocampus is scary, especially when you consider that's one of the primary brain areas destroyed by Alzheimer's. So it's really bad for your mental health. To complain is actually literally bad for your mental health. Okay, so um, what are your thoughts about that, Steve?
0: You know, as, as you were talking, and I understand a lot of that. I've, I've done a lot of teachings on understanding the, the, what happens when we complain. We actually set ourselves up into the spirit realm of opening a door, giving Hasatan, Satan, the devil, a right to be able to come in. Because complaining, when we complain, what we're saying is, God, you don't know what you're doing. You have failed me. You see, and that's where it goes back to what the devil's trying to do is separate us and cause us not to have a correct belief system in how awesome God is. Mm -hmm. And if we believed in how awesome he was, there would be no reason to complain. Mm -hmm. We would be able to go to his word and find out the answer and to be able to have an attitude of gratitude and to be able to be thankful for what he has given us,
1: That's the key. which
0: is all about our relationship. Mm-hmm. See, if we really believed he was that awesome and, and what he's doing, we would do that. So there's no room for complaining.
1: Mm-hmm. No, you bring up the first, very first thing all the psychologists talk about, the antidote, the primary antidote to overcome complaining is gratitude, a spirit of thankfulness. And you're exactly right. Where do you start with the spirit of thankfulness? It's out of our relationship with God. And and life is not worth living without a relationship with God. Life's not worth living if all we're going to do all day long is complain about things. Right?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and that's where a choice needs to happen. You know, the first thing that when you wake up in the morning, it's a choice. Am I going to be thankful for today? And what am I going to be thankful for? Even before your feet hit the floor. You know, being able to understand, I'm going to choose today to be honored, honoring. I'm going to honor somebody today. I'm going to choose. Everything, uh, Tom, is about a choice. Mm -hmm. What are you going to choose to do today? And that sets the stage.
1: The first thing uh, I do every um, morning in my prayer time is to write, down 10 things I'm thankful for from the day before. And I actually learned this from a, a Harvard professor who was actually doing a study in Harvard on happiness. You know, in the secular world, they talk about happiness. And they said, the best thing you could do to be happy <laughs> is to be thankful. <laughs> and I, uh, whether I was happy or not is not so much my intent. My intent was to uh, actually rewire my brain onto something that was good and positive. And the first thing is starter with positivity. If you want to start with positivity rather than negativity, start with being thankful. Thankfulness builds bridges. The other thing that thankfulness does, and this Harvard professor brought up as a psychologist was saying that you, if you start to be thankful for things, then you start to look for things that you're thankful for. And if you start your day out complaining about things or are negative, you look for things that you can be negative about or more things you can complain about. So it's a question of whether your perception is going to be, is the glass half full or half empty? Half full is positive, and you're going to look for more things that are positive. If it's half empty, you're going to look at negative things. You're going to have more things to complain about. It's just the way our brain works is literally the physical realm. It has its effects spiritually, obviously, and truthfully, but it's also in the natural realm, literally in our brain cells. So uh, these are things that uh, the enemy is aware of and he's continuously presenting to us to see if we'll bite into his thought processes.
0: <clears throat> Absolutely. You see, you know, and this is why the devil is always tempting. He did it with Adam and Eve.
1: Did it with the and, Israelites. And, and, and
0: he, <laughs> yep, and then God had to come across and ask him then, Adam, where are you? Well, of course, he knew where he was. The question is, where are you with me? Back okay. to our question about relationship. Why have? Why don't you believe who I am? Right. Why are you hiding from me? Right. Or do you think I'm a bad? Why I'm a bad God now? <clears throat> when yesterday we just walked in the cool of the day, now you're scared of me. Wrong belief system. Right, and that's what the devil did.
1: And it also shuts down. Like uh, to be to be candid with the thing, If you see something that you're observing, something that's wrong, the, think of it from a solution perspective. What could be done? So if you start to complain, it shuts down your ability to be creative and find a solution. If you see something that you think is wrong, observing something is wrong, leave your mind open to what could be done to counteract this. What's the solution that's there? And one of the things that, on a positive way, we can do to recreate and move things forward. So we thank you for uh, participating with us with this one section. We'll be back in a moment with Pastor Steve Heimbischner talking about the traditions of men and how they separate us. we we'll are be back in a moment. Hello, this is Papa Tom at the Father's Heart Talk Show, and we're back with Pastor Steve Heimbischner from Billings, Montana. And Steve and I have developed a very good relationship over the things that are in Scripture that are biblical and Jewish people tend to understand them. The Christian world doesn't seem to understand what God had in mind, what he gave us in Scripture in the Old Testament. And so we're going to discuss the feast today because it's a big— this month is huge for feasts and how important they are so that we can receive the blessings that God has for us from the feasts and not to try to get away from uh, or separate ourselves from— the, the, the beauty that God's given us in, in these feasts and think they're somehow Jewish and we don't have to celebrate them anymore or not participate because they somehow the enemy has distracted us into thinking these things are Jewish and Christian people and Jewish people are, are different. It's really, it's biblical. And if we get away from the religiosity of Judaism and focus on more of the biblical application of what's in there, uh, for the truth, we can enjoy and receive the blessings in favor of, of God in them. So with that in mind, Steve, I know you've studied these these feasts in, in intensely, and it's the Father's heart to give his children access to these feasts. And uh, so can you comment on that?
0: You know, absolutely. You know, some of the things that, you know, of course, I get this controversy all the time And, you know, of why they need to do it. And they don't need to because Jesus came and all that's done away with. But, you know, I ask them one of the biggest questions is, who gave the Ten Commandments? Who gave them? And, of course, they come up with one of two answers. Either it's Moses or the Lord. And I'm going, yeah, but who is it? Well, then I take them to the New Testament And I said, James says that Yeshua is the Torah giver or the law giver. Yeshua is the one, Jesus is the one who gave all of these things in Leviticus to be able to tell us about the forthcoming of what was to be done. Mm -hmm. Remember, all this is about reminding us of what the Messiah did before he even said, let there be light. He made these feast days to be a pattern for us to be able to know him. He said, remember, I said it before, you times and seasons. The problem is in our culture, we think seasons is fall, winter, spring, and fall. Mm-hmm. In God's understanding, it was the seasons of, you know, the, the spring feast days of, when, of, of his coming, and then the fall feast days of his return. Mm-hmm. And so the biggest problem comes in is that people have not been taught and that's of course the, the problem in our, in our culture of what uh, we have not been understanding the why the feast days are even there. That's and true. so remember they are the, the covenants of promise. These were things. remember like when I asked people when did you when did Jesus die? And they said, well, he died 2,000 years ago. I said, no, the word says that he was slain before the foundation of the earth. And so he was understanding, he was planning on coming this way before he even said, let there be light. This is all part of his plan. The question is, do we want to be part of that plan? And, And that's why these fall feast days are so pregnant with what he's trying to get across to us of his return. You know, like the, we just celebrated the Feast of Trumpets. and And the Feast of Trumpets is known as what? The day that no man knows the day or the hour. Mm-hmm. And so we in Christianity, you know, we have been taught that he can come in January or March or April or August or, you know, we need, don't know when it's coming. But in Hebrew understanding, it's simply because of one or two days. The Feast of Trumpets is the only feast day that is determined by the new moon. Mm-hmm. And so we don't know if it's going to be on that certain day or is it going to be the next day one of those two days but he's coming one of those two times why do you think and of people
1: why do you think people resist uh opening their minds and their hearts to understanding the value of the feasts
0: you know number one tom it's it's we have been uh, understand that that why do people resist change because remember we are a tribal people we want to belong to something so badly that we'll resist truth. And that's what Yeshua taught about so much is how do we resist truth? And, and Yeshua taught about truth so much. John 17, 17, he said, and the truth is, is my word. And so we look at truth. It's, it's all the way through. And the word truth always equates to the Torah. But people resist truth at the point of even losing their own lives or not even being able to spend eternity with him because they don't want to give up their traditions. And what did Yeshua say? He said, because of your traditions, you make the gospel of no effect.
1: That's true. That's right.
0: And So that's why he's he's trying to get them to understand. I'm trying to give you a gift here. And that's why the the feast, remember, he talked about during the Feast of Trumpets of when the shofar is going to blow. But he said, remember, Tom, this whole thing, and I believe that this is the major, major thing for until the Messiah comes back, is this point. Those who will be listening or willing to hear Mm -hmm. his voice are the ones that are going to make it.
1: You know, uh, we both realize that Jesus was not born on, on, uh, Christmas, uh, December 25th, right? (laughs) Or the winter solstice, and it, it just doesn't add up. Right. Uh, So he came sometime in, uh, some people say the spring, other people say the fall. Uh, it is clear to me, if there's a scriptural context to it, that, um, the Feast of trumpets seems to fit very closely to when he came and when, uh, the uh, shepherds heard the uh, trumpet sounding, right? In yeah. the heavens. The trumpets yeah. are sounding, it's, it's the same language for Rosh Hashanah, for the Feast of Trumpets. And it also symbolizes the new beginnings. So it, it totally makes sense to me that Jesus was born on Rosh Hashanah back in 4 AD or 3 AD. Uh, yeah. The other thing as I've read about the other side seems to agree with that in that they've picked out uh, September 11th as being the date that they believe he was born on. Uh, Other people say September 23rd. I don't know if it's the 23rd. I don't even know if it's the 11th. But the point is, the implication of his birth being, which is not specifically stated in Scripture, um, but the implication or the inferences are that it was in September. Um,
0: Well, it does talk a lot about this. I don't have, we don't have time but I've got whole charts of determining when he was born. I could go back into Zachariah. Remember who Zachariah was mm-hmm. the priest who was John the Baptist's father. Yes. And when he came out, when he was able to, to be with his wife Elizabeth, and then when Elizabeth got to meet Mary it was six months. And even on the Catholic calendar, it's got the day of the Immaculate Conception. And so when you go with that day at nine months, you come up with the month of September. This year, it's called the Feast of Tabernacles. I believe it's the Feast of Tabernacles. And the reason for that is because in the book of Revelation, it says that he came to tabernacle with man. Mm-hmm. Now, the Feast of Trumpets, of course, is new beginnings, and, and we could go on with that. <clears throat> it's also the we're year 5784. Which the number four is also the word for the fourth letter in the Hebrew alphabet, the Aleph Bet, Gimel, Dalet, He, and if so, it's the Dalit, the year of the door, the open door. Mm-hmm. But I believe that with all the evidence, he was born on the feast of tabernacles.
1: And how does As that relate to, to his returning?
0: His return, remember, is come because he's coming for the wedding. Mm-hmm. He's coming to marry us. That's why on Yom Kippur, we get together, we celebrate Yom Kippur, but in white. We're all dressed in white. And so that begins the wedding celebration.
1: So yeah. all so, three feasts are right at our doorstep. We just went through Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> We're into yeah. the Feast of Tabernacles. At the end of this month, I think it's the 29th, next couple of days into October, is Yom Kippur, correct?
0: Yep. Yeah, Sunday is is Monday is Yom Kippur.
1: Yeah, so yep. th- this is a uh, this is something that um, I think deserves attention, and we shouldn't get hung up on this as being traditions of men, and separate ourselves as being these uh, traditions of men without realizing what the scriptural context is and what God's trying to say to us through these ver- these very feasts.
0: Well, exactly, and then that's why He told us in Matthew twenty four. Remember, the number one sign that Yeshua said of, uh, that you're understanding you're in the last days is Matthew 24, 4, which says, beware of deception. Mm-hmm. The number one thing. So are we being deceived in our country today? Oh, my gosh. No matter where you look, deception is happening. Mm-hmm. We're looking at the deception of immorality. We're looking at the deception of our political structures. We're looking at the deception of abortion and trafficking. And I mean, on and on and on and on it goes. Uh, and so we're looking at right now, and that's, and that's why Yeshua said, be ready. Remember, he told the, the parable of the five virgins mm-hmm. uh, that were foolish, the five virgins that were wise. But the question is, do you have your oil lamp full? And do you have on your wedding garment? And what are those? How do you get your oil full? The righteous acts of the saints is what it talks about in Revelation. And so that's how you get your wedding garment, is to have the righteous acts of the saints. What is the word righteous? The word righteous in in the Greek understanding in New Testament is the word dikusene, which is the things commanded by God to be obeyed by men. Simple mm-hmm. as that.
1: Yeah. Uh, can we address for just a quick moment, because we'll get back to this in our next segment, but... Um, the separation between christians and jews which really seemed to accelerate in the time of constantine <clears throat> and, um uh, constantine made the uh the christian religion which later became catholicism or the religion of the empire but he installed so much paganism and he was a mathrassian high priest and he put a lot of things in to what we now have as traditions of men from the so-called christian side But we'll be back in a moment to talk about the separation religiously between christians and jews and where we are today based upon where god wants us to be in the bible we'll be back in a moment we're back with uh pastor steve heimbersner from billings montana and we're discussing um this issue of the separation between Christians and Jews, over actual biblical things that God gave to us. It's always in the heart of God the Father to unite us. He wants us as his children to be united, not separated. And that the enemy is always trying to separate us. We have divisive politics, right? Yes, Uh, right. And we're trying to—it's divide and conquer has always been the enemy's plan uh, from the beginning. And God's plan has always been to unite. And it's always, there's always a union over truth. There's always a union over love. There's always a separation happens when there's fear involved. And fear tends to be is it a weapon the enemy uses to separate us. So what do you think is the fear that's been installed in us? I want to first bring out to the audience that, from my reading of history, uh, Constantine was a Mithrasian high priest, and uh, he was the emperor of Rome, and he made uh, Christianity the religion of the empire. But in so doing, it was really a power move on his part because when he installed that, he installed a lot of other things with it that were ritualistic and were traditions of men. And he uh, accentuated differences or um, created differences and then accentuated the differences between Christianity at that time and Jewish people, when most of the Christians back then were actual Jews. So, what are your thoughts Absolutely. about that?
0: You know the the sad part is is that you know we've had <laughs> thousands of years of tradition, and and you know to get this education and and it's got to have a hunger of truth. Where is truth now? Is are people willing to look at truth again? <clears throat> you know, and most people are not. And because of, they're so afraid, because if they know truth, they may lose their family. They may have to separate. They may have to, and people are, like what you said, Tom, earlier, people are in fear today. They are so afraid of not being involved. And and yet separating is exactly what the devil's planning on doing, mm-hmm. what he does. And yet in Ezekiel, uh, 37, 19 through 22, God warned us through the prophet Ezekiel. He said there's going to be one king, one message, one baptism. Even Paul talked about one, one, one. There's only one way. And, and it's God's way. And, and being able to understand the, the Torah. Because remember, what is sin? And if we don't understand what sin is, and that's 1 John 3:4. Sin is the transgression of the Torah. And, and until we see that and accept that, I mean, we're not going to be able to want to even know what is the, the truth until we find out what sin is. Mm-hmm. And most people don't want to know.
1: They don't, and most churches seem to focus more on our behavior than they do about our relationship. And they're focusing on trying to get people not to sin anymore. And they've accomplished something if they do, which really is true. Uh, Well, it's true in a sense, but it's not really the truth. The truth is, it's the relationship that we have with God that's the most important thing. And the most important thing, he's interested in. It always always, um, impressed me how much David sinned in his actual life. And yet God said, he's a man after my own heart. And yet Saul doesn't really seem to have that many sins. I mean, he didn't seem to murder anybody, he didn't seem to commit adultery. At least it's not recorded that he committed a lot of sins. But he was much more involved with the rules, and he he wasn't involved with the relationship. Saul did not cultivate a relationship with God, and David did. So even though David committed a lot more sins, apparently, than Saul did, God said, he's a man at my own heart, because that relationship he had with God.
0: Absolutely. You know, one of the things, Tom, that we may be another program, but it's a difference between having personality and character. You know, I believe in our culture, we have people with personality plus, but they have no character. David had character. Saul had a personality, but he had no character. He had no integrity of being able to do that. This is why... Uh, Yahweh told David, you're a man after my heart, because he had character. And this is what God's trying to build in us today. Where's our character? What's happening? Where's the leaders? Where are those that are willing to give it all? When, when is the last time you've talked to people that went to pray? How many people are praying and weeping and, and, and coming back to his ways? You know, the Holy Spirit will never separate you from the Torah. Because the Torah is, is, is Him. It's Yeshua in print, John chapter 1. And so when we start to look at how bad do people want to know? Are they willing to die for Him? You know, we, everything is about the blood the Messiah shed at, at the Gethsemane and in Calvary. And we understand what His blood did. But to do nothing. That's why Yeshua said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And that's where we're looking at being able to follow his word. And that's where we get back into our original text of what? Following the feast days. Yes. Whose feast days are they? There right. is.
1: You know where I think the first confusion seemed to enter in when um Paul and Peter were having a dispute over what were the rules and regulations that uh the the Gentiles were supposed to follow. And the Judaizers, in a sense, the Jewish people were putting on to them rules and regulations that they didn't need to have. And then I think they found themselves, which is true, they didn't need to have them, but they threw the baby out with the bathwater. They started throwing out everything that was Jewish or what they considered to be of Judaism and not hold on to that which is biblical truths in in the word.
0: You're exactly right. You know, and they were discussing that and all of the things that they told them is that, you know, you, you don't have sex outside, sexual immorality. You don't eat meat, you know, that, that has blood in it. You don't drink blood. You know, those are all things found in the Torah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the only way you're going to find them is to go back into the Torah to find what those mean. And then you got to go back into Acts 20 when Paul tells of uh, us, uh, what exactly what he preached on? Remember, James came to him and said, "Paul, look at this. Look at the the thousands and thousands of people that are coming in that are zealous for the Torah." Mm-hmm. And then he said, "But uh, Paul, look at this. Let you go ahead and do all of these things, sacri- you know, and take care of these four guys, be so that people will know that you follow the Torah." Mm -hmm. i mean it's so simple but yet how come nobody reads that
1: yeah well it's again getting back to the enemy's intent to separate us and using fear as his technique his tool to separate us and not to uh rest in the the truth of what the torah with the torah what the word of god is saying um and it's also, there's, there's a place where the Pharisees actually presented the Torah in certain ways where it was so much rules-driven that it circumvented the relationship. And Jesus Absolutely. was paramount on the relationship. Yes, the Torah exists, but the, the relationship was paramount. The, the um, Pharisees made the rules paramount.
0: Right, well, you can't have a relationship but it's just like you, you and your wife have a great relationship, but it's because you do everything for each other. I mean, there has to be an exchange. See, the church today wants to believe in what Yeshua did, but the word believe is the Hebrew word aman, which means action and activity. And so if you don't do what he said, how do you have an a, an exchange? You can't.
1: Mm-hmm. No. no
0: relationship.
1: I understand. Well, uh, Father, I pray for... Uh the people that are listening to this uh, um, broadcast will get a deeper understanding of how much God loves them and how much He gave us His glory <clears> Then <throat> we have to understand deeply His love for us and His love is embedded in His Word. He is not hurt when we sin. He's hurt because we sin because the effect it has on us. But we have to look to His heart and the Father's heart is always for our best, always to give us love, always to give us freedom and always give us the Word as the boundaries through which we can we can live and grow and have our being as he says and we want to have that with everything that's available to us the feast days and everything that's in Scripture that he's given us for our well-being and we thank you for being with us today Amen <sighs> we're back with Papa Tom from the Art Talk Show, and Pastor Steve Heimbischner from Billings, Montana. You know, you may want to ask yourself the question, can any good thing come out of Billings, Montana? Well, I've found one who's uh, a good <laughs> friend in a relationship. and I kind of understand how Jesus felt when he said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And uh, <laughs> I guess we can compare Nazareth with Billings, Montana. So uh, we took the, another expression. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> was... Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, can a prophet be known as hometown? Well, maybe not, but we bring him out of the Montana and out of the Carolinas, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, everything's acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so we yeah. were talking about how the enemy has uh, pulled out all the stops uh, using fear and lies to separate us. And his tactics never really change. It's always divide and conquer, and uh, how fears and lies are perpetrated against the truth and love, and uh, truth and love unites us, and fear and lies separates us. And uh, we we're, were discussing the our previous uh, conversation, earlier in this conversation, about um, the traditions of men make the word of God to no effect. So I thought I'd take a moment and actually read that uh, scripture uh, where we're talking about out of the word and focus on the fact that th- this conversation that, that uh, Yeshua is having is having it with religious leaders, religious leaders of his day. So he says... And he quotes um, uh, from Isaiah, and he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching of doctrines, the commandments of men. Catch that now, the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things, like Martha um, used to do. And he said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Now he's saying this to, obviously, the Pharisees. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and and he who curses his father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift from God. you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother making the word of god of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down and many such things you do you know over this over the millennium we've had many many instances of how there have been hundreds if not thousands of permissions of men that have developed and it seems to me that the religious spirits um support the creation of the traditions of men and more and more traditions whether they be uh, Judaism as a religion or Christianity as a religion, uh, all the different denominations develop their traditions, and yet we let the um, essence of the word of God uh, go to the side, and we don't receive or are willing to receive that which God put in his word. And everything God put in his word, he put in that we would have a relationship and develop a deeper relationship with him, Oftentimes, churches will talk about faith. Do you have faith? Well, behind that word faith is the word relationship. There is, no, there is no faith if there's no relationship. And if there is a relationship, then there's faith. It goes hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And it's in the heart of God to develop our relationship. Not so much our behavior, which you talked about earlier, but more where our heart is. And can we have relationship with him? You know, I was speaking to my, one of my sons the other day, and he basically came to the conclusion, he says, you know, we really can't know God that much because God is so big and so, um, how shall I say, hard to really understand in the wholeness of who God is that we look at our lives and occasionally we get a download from heaven or we talk to him, and even people who have relationships with him only see him in part and only a, a, like a piece of him or a perspective of him every once in a while we can't even come to grips with understanding the wholeness of who he is in his majesty and his uh, in His transcendence and imminence of uh, the, the the whole being of who he is. And so um, what happens is that, uh, be that as it may, it's the traditions of men that even interfere with us having those little aspects of, of a knowledge of him and gets crossways with him and crossways with each other. So we were continuing to our conversation with Steve about this issue of the traditions of men uh, interfering with our relationship with God. So, Steve, why don't you uh, speak? In
0: <clears throat> Amen. You know, uh, I so appreciate Tom again the uh, the Father's heart show, and I appreciate your heart as it comes through about a message that just needs to be brought forth into our whole c- culture, and that's the love of the Father which people have a hard time today, you know, having that happen. Remember, the devil is really trying to separate us from having a relationship with God. And so he messes with our belief systems. Mm -hmm. So we have a belief system that God is a certain way, and if he doesn't perform to our guidelines, then we don't believe in what he says. Right. And this is why the, the, the church today is having such a hard time understanding having a relationship. Everybody talks about a relationship, how much they love God. But the problem is, where's the exchange in having that relationship? Right. What do we do on our behalf? You know, his death, burial, and resurrection, his shed blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And so how do we appropriate that? giving it back to us, and it has to be in an exchange. We give him our sin, he gives us his righteousness. It just doesn't come any other way. We have got to line up with what he said. The devil hates having a relationship. That's why he called us children, or he calls us sons or daughters, and he only does that when there's family. Mm -hmm. And so to have a family, you get to have a relationship. And the church is scared spitless of having that relationship because he said, here's my guidelines. Remember, James says Yeshua is the, is the one that gave the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. And, and most people have a hard time with that. But yet that's what James said. And so when he gave the Ten Commandments, with the fourth one being the Sabbath, which is called the wedding ring, which is the center of everything that we do. And if we don't honor those commandments, where's our relationship? Right. We don't have one.
1: You know, one of the tricks of the enemy is to get us to strive <coughs> to earn what God has already given to us. Absolutely. He's already provided to us. And it was the same trick he did in the Garden of Eden. when He said to, he tricked uh, Adam and Eve, the man and the woman, uh, over that they would know the knowledge of good and evil, something that they didn't need to know to be like God. And in fact, they were already like God in the sense that God had created them in, the, in his image and his likeness and God wired them so they only really didn't, needed to know what was good. They didn't have to, God never wired them to understand what was evil. And it was Absolutely. it was a trick that was put out there and it's in the heart of man, it comes out of a sense, I think he tricks us with a certain level of pride to think that we can earn something we're always trying to do something to earn something that God our Father has already given to us and every, every time we mess up he also gives us forgiveness he also gives us a way out and we don't know we're to take the way out we don't we don't want to uh, admit that we've done something wrong we don't want to confess we don't want to repent we don't want to do the things that he's given to us that the whole confession means to agree he says if you, you confess you did something wrong, you're agreeing that you did something wrong and you're agreeing with the word. To repent means to change your mind, to turn 180 degrees from where you were to where it is, right? So there's a repentance. Those are basically actions you mentioned before. To believe is, a, is an action step. And, and confession is an action step. Repentance is an action step. Uh, confession and repentance brings forgiveness, give this as an action step. Everything requires us to take an action, but the action often has to do with receiving from God what the solution is, as opposed to trying <laughs> to do it ourselves in some other way that doesn't work.
0: Absolutely. We want to improvise on what he said. Mm-hmm. We have a better way of doing things instead mm-hmm. of what... Remember, Yeshua's main message is repent mm-hmm. and return. Right. repent and return back to my ways right it wasn't hard oh no. remember he said the gospel is not hard to do
1: we want to build back better <laughs>
0: that's right
1: as the world economic forum and the biden administration is telling us we want to build back better they can't build back better he's god he created it the way he's supposed to be you know i okay. want to i want to wrap our minds around this thought about how much we think oftentimes i talk to a lot of people and they discuss how much they know god and I'm really impressed more about how much we don't know about him, how, how much he's so much beyond our capacity, at least in this fallen world and this side of the veil, to understand him in the fullness of who he is. Even people like Moses knew God face to face. It says in scripture that Israel knew his ways, but but Moses knew knew him face to face. He knew his heart, but he only knew a piece of his heart. You know, even somebody like Moses didn't know him that well. And if you look at all the... All the people mentioned in the scriptures, they knew a piece of him. Job didn't even know them that much until later on, but that was just a little fraction of what it was. The only one that really knew God in the wholeness of who he was, was the son of man himself. And that was because even in his human nature, the part of his nature that was human, that understood the heart of the Father, he also was God himself as part of the Trinity. So his knowledge of God was immense and complete, where ours is only fractional. At best.
0: Well, you know, that's one of the great things that I believe or a relationship. You know, it's like when you got married, when I got married, I didn't know that woman that was next to me. I just woke up one day and there was a woman next to me and, you know, I didn't know anything about her. But wow. it took 33 years of still learning how to I get to know this person that you gave me. Right. And this is where the Father's at. Every day we get to get up and we make a choice. I'm going to serve you today. How right. can I do that? Yeah. Create in me a clean heart today, oh God, and restore a right spirit in me. Examine my ways so that I can become to know you. Right. And, that, and that's where it's at. Every day it's got to get better.
1: You know, you can imagine how, get Jacob, to know him. how much Jacob must have felt after he got married. And he woke up in the morning and he saw Leah, he goes, ah! Yeah, I was surprised. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was thinking he was marrying Rachel, and uh, it ended up being her sister. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's <laughs> things that we learn every day about our spouses and about uh, the different people that God has put into our, our lives. Um, and to the extent that we do know them, the more impressive things, there was a person once said, the more I know, the more I realize what I don't know. Yeah. And it's the more I know God, the yeah. more I realize how much I don't know about God.
0: You know, and that's so and that's so true because God is unfathomable. It's gonna take eternity mm-hmm. to get to know him. Right. I mean, it's think about that. We're in this sliver of time and we got eternity. And then mm-hmm. when we get to know a portion of him, he just un you know, lets the curtain go back and right. here's a whole other thing that we get to know.
1: That's why I think religious leaders really trip us up, because they try to put God in a box. And if you look at the traditions of men, they always try to categorize or compartmentalize God in in such a way that we say, well, we know him because we put him in this box. We know him because we have compartmentalized him to be this particular way. And he's not that way at all. And so I can understand why the people say that uh, people are leaving the church. I think they're not really leaving the relationship with God because they don't even have one. I think they're leaving the religious establishments of the church and they're leaving religion which i think is actually a good thing they're living religion because they <laughs> desperately Absolutely. desire to have a relationship that they don't have but i think that's opening the door for revival and the great awakening that people who will truly desire and be interested to have the relationship that they never did have and they couldn't find it in a church-like organization because the churches were giving them the traditions of men, and that was really separating them from God and from one another. And we'll be back in a moment with Pastor Steve Heimbischner.